have yet to come and greater things are still to be done in this city greater things have yet to come and greater things are still to be done we believe we believe in you god good morning everyone won't you stand and worship with us
forgiveness, there's life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus over our church here, Lord. Just be with everybody in this building today, Father. I speak the name of Jesus over Lake County, over the state of Ohio, over the United States of America. I speak the name of Jesus. I love you. It's an honor to just stand here and serve you, Father. Thank you, worship team. Let's give God some praise this morning. Bless the Lord. Welcome to all of you joining us in person and joining us online this morning. Welcome to New Promise Church. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. I have seen some new faces with us this morning, so I just wanted to draw your attention very briefly to the connection card in your seat back pocket in front of you. You're going to find a few things in that seat back pocket uh, that you can use, a card to take notes on, offering envelope, we'd like you to use that too, and also a connection card. Um, if this is your first, second, third time here, and if we don't have your contact information, if you'd like to, just fill out your name and maybe an email address or a phone number. We'd love to give you a call or give you an email tomorrow or Tuesday and just thank you for being with us this morning and on the back of the card thank you guys and on the back of the card uh, you will see a place for prayer requests and praise reports one thing that we do here every week at New Promise Church is we pray for you and we go through these prayer request cards as they come in and we pray and intercede for you that God will do what you need him to do in your life and we also like to celebrate with you in the praise reports as well I got a praise report this morning in between the services that somebody who was diagnosed with Parkinson's not that long ago. They were in the beginning stages of it. They apparently have been healed of Parkinson's and it's been confirmed by their doctor. Hallelujah. Bless you, Jesus. His name is power. His name is healing. His name is life. Say it with me, church. His name is power. His name is healing. And his name is life. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you do for us. Thank you, God, that you are the God who, who comes and calls us. You invite us. You include us. You walk beside us. You put your Holy Spirit within us. You save us. You forgive us of our sins. You set us free from the paralysis of sin, Father. You enable us to, to live life eternally with you, both here on earth and for eternity in heaven. 
Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you are not a God who is afar off, not paying attention, but you are a God who is loving kindness towards your people, and you are right here with us this morning. We sent your Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for that person uh, who has been healed of Parkinson's uh, by you and because of you, because we've been praying for that, Lord. And Father, we rejoice with that praise report this morning, Lord Jesus, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the credit, and all the praise, because you're the one who did it. And we thank you for it, God. And thank you for taking that person and making them uh, 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 a witness of your gospel to their doctor, because their doctor can't believe it. And, and it's just, you're just all things good, and you're all things wonderful, Father. And so, Lord, as the sun shines so beautifully and brightly out this morning after the storm we had here last night, that is so apropos of your presence in our lives. Many times we have storms blow through our lives, but you are the light in the darkness. You are the calm in the storm, and you are sovereign over all the storms, and you are the sunshine in our life, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, as we turn our hearts towards home and our eyes towards your word, we simply ask you, Lord, to uh, anoint my lips to preach, like we ask you every week, Father. Anoint my lips to preach. Anoint our ears to hear you. Anoint our minds to understand how it applies to our lives. And, and anoint our hearts to receive everything that you have for us right now, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. As we be, uh, continue, rather, our series called Conversations with Christ. I told you last week when we launched this series that I believe that we can learn a lot about someone from listening to how they talk to people. And so what we learn a lot about Jesus is how he talks in these conversations in Mark's gospel with various different people. Um, and then we can extrapolate as to how that applies to our lives today because the same things he said in the gospels still apply to our lives today. So for instance, last week we started in Mark chapter 1 when he had a very short conversation with a demon and a demon-possessed man and he told him to come out of him and he, the demon came out of him and then from the people's comments about what Jesus said and what happened and by the way he taught, all the people were saying, man, Jesus teaches like one with authority. Not like the Pharisees taught, but with authority. And, and we talked about that Greek word exousia, which is where we get the word executive from, or executive authority from, which means what? What he says goes. Because when you're the CEO, what you say goes, right? And so Jesus, being God, speaks as one with executive authority over everything, and so what he says goes, and when people see it and hear it, they recognize it, and they recognize the difference. Now, that same theme of authority is going to continue in Mark chapter 2 today. In, in another couple of conversations, Jesus is going to have with some Pharisees. So come with me to Mark chapter 2, and, and it'll be in your Bibles, or if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, verses 1 to 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. Now, it says a few days later, after chapter 1 had happened, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. 
As he preached the word, uh, as he preached the word to them, some men came bringing a paralyzed man carried by four others. Now, since they could not get to Jesus because of the large crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the man on the la- uh, on the mat. Now, hang on, you got you got we got to pause there for a second. As I was reading that again this week and thinking about this and everything, I mean, can you imagine? What the disruption that would be. I kind of put myself in Jesus' place for a minute. And it's like if you're standing there or sitting there and you're teaching and you're trying to, to, to keep people's attention and you're trying to go in a line and everything like, you know, go in a line of thought and, and things like that. And then all of a sudden you hear this ruffling over your head. And all of a sudden you hear a saw, saw, you know, right? And then all of a sudden, next happens, you get dust coming down on your head, right? And you're Jesus sitting there and you're going, why is this dust coming down on my head, on my shoulders, man, everything? And then all of a sudden you notice particles are coming down. And then all of a sudden you notice some, some drywall is starting to come down. And then some lattice is starting to come down. And then all of a sudden you get a couple of big clumps just go, boom, right in front of you, man. And you're sitting there going, man, it's a good thing it didn't land on my head, right? And Jesus is probably going, what in the world is going on up there? And you see this hole in the roof, in the ceiling above you, and all of a sudden, here comes this mat being lowered down through this roof with a paralyzed guy on it by four ropes, who the four guys are lowering him down, and Jesus probably looked up, and he probably saw those four guys lowering him down, looking like this, going, we got something we need you to do, Jesus. Can, can you help us out here? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, this is kind of important, you know, that type of thing. I mean, can you imagine what the scene and the mess that might have been with all of that? And then Jesus looks up and sees four, you know, goofy-looking guys with goofy-looking smiles on their faces going, I know you're going to be able to do this. This is going to be great and everything, right? Like that. So what an interruption that might, must have been, right? So Jesus was cool, apparently, with the interruption because of what comes next. So let's pick the story back up. So they opened a roof above Jesus, digging through it, and lowered the mat uh, that the man was lying on. So when Jesus saw their faith, underline that, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, and the teachers of the law are Pharisees. Another way of saying Pharisees. And they thought to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He blasphemes. I mean, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, see, there's that word from last week. I told you, it shows up a lot in Mark's gospel. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so, I, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority, see there, that word again is authority, exousia, executive authority, on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, Jesus said to the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so the man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of everyone. Now this amazed everyone, and, and they started praising God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so once again, Jesus then left there and went out beside the lake, which is actually the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. His other name is Matthew. Levi is going to become one of the apostles here. So he saw Levi, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth or table. And so Jesus said to him, follow me. And so Levi got up and followed him. I just think that's amazing. Jesus walks by and says, follow me, and Levi goes, okay, but when we get there, it'll make sense. 
So while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. So when the teachers of the law, that would be Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, people we wouldn't sit and eat with, right? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We'll get to that in a, in a minute too, but, but here you go. They had it right in front of them and they were blind as bats. The Pharisees, that is. The Pharisees had not just the Mosaic law, but they had the fulfillment of the promise of the Mosaic law standing right in front of them. They had God, God's Messiah, God's Christ, God's anointed one. They had uh, God incarnate, that Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53 had talked about standing right in front of them, yet they were as blind as bats. They couldn't see it. They couldn't get it. They didn't see that Jesus is really starting to fulfill a lot of these amazing prophecies right out of the Mosaic Law. And you go, well, why couldn't they see it if it was right in front of them? Part of the reason is because God kind of blinded their eyes a little bit because God needed and wanted to get Jesus up onto the cross so he could atone for sin. And so scripture tells us God in part shielded or, or blinded their eyes from seeing all of that, but also a large part of it, or maybe a larger part of it, was their pharisaical pride. I mean, they were all hoity-toity Pharisees. They knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. They could probably quote out of the Torah. In fact, I know they could quote out of the Torah. And they could even quote out of the Talmud, which is the editorial commentaries that rabbis wrote that had no significant weight, not equal to the Torah at all, but they could quote out of their commentaries too. I mean, they're Pharisees. They had it all together. They were the religious right of the day. They knew what they were doing, and they knew how to do it, and they knew who they hung with, and they knew who they didn't hang with. And it was because of their religious pride that they couldn't see the promise of God fulfilled right in front of their eyes. You know, there's an interesting correlation here. I, li I like this story because there's an interesting correlation that happens within the story between sin and paralysis because there's nothing that paralyzes people more than sin. Sin paralyzes people. Sin is what keeps people from being able to be and do everything that God created them to be and do. Sin blinds people to the truth. Sin causes them to be deaf to the word of truth. Sin holds them back. Sin limits their function. And sin ultimately limits life. The exact same things that happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, sin, paraly or sin paralyzed Adam and Eve in the fear of God. As soon as they sinned, they hid from God. They didn't want to have anything to do from God. They tried to stay as far away from God as they could, but God came to him, them because he's gracious and everything. Sin separated them from God. Sin separated them from God's anointing. Sin diminished their thinking and their creativity and, they could, and their abilities. They could no longer do the things that they used to be able to do before sin came into their life, and sin limited their life. They were not created to die. They were created to live forever, but they became entangled and paralyzed in sin. And sin still does that today to people. Sin still paralyzes people today. Sin holds them back from being everything that they were created to be. 
Sin keeps them from God, separated from God, separated from God's anointing, limits, it, limits their ability, diminishes their thinking and creativity, and limits their lifespan. That's why God wants to forgive people's sins, and that's why he wants to free people from the paralysis of sin, just like Jesus did for the paralytic man. Jesus not only freed him from being paralyzed, Jesus also forgave his sin. You see, whereas religion can only identify sin, Jesus has the authority to forgive sin and free people from the paralysis of sin. You know, all world religions identify sin. All world, that being, all world religions identify that which is against their beliefs, against their doctrines, their systems of thought. All world religions can only identify sin. They can't fix it. Only Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive sin and to fix sin and to set people free from the paralysis of sin because only Jesus is God. Jesus, as God, has the authority. Scripture says in Psalms 103, in Isaiah 38, and Isaiah 45, that as God, God has the sole authority to take our sin and throw it as far as the east is from the west. God takes our sin and remembers it against us no more. He puts all of our sins behind us. He blots them out forever for his sake and for ours, and he no longer holds them against us, our sins. Only God has the authority and the power to be able to do that, and only Jesus is God incarnate. Now, in verse 15, after Jesus does this, he goes to something different. He goes to Levi's house, Matthew's house, who's a tax collector, and he sits and he has dinner with him. Him and the apostles and the entourage, as the entourage is growing. And this causes a conversation, the Pharisees, to have with Jesus' apostles and disciples and with Jesus himself. Why does he do that? Why does he hang out with people we don't hang out with? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, you have to understand something about tax collecting back in the day. And, 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 I, and I'm mindful of the fact that we have somebody who's retired who used to work for the IRS here as a part of New Promise Church. And I know, and I love this person, and, and I've, I mean no insult to this person at all. But to be honest, most people don't like the IRS. Most people don't like tax collecting. Most people don't like paying their taxes. Today, and it was true back in the day, but there's something you have to understand about people who are just doing their job, like Levi, like Matthew. He was a Jewish guy. And, and Rome was famous for conscripting Jewish men to act as tax collectors from other Jewish people. From their friends and their family, their neighbors, their strangers, their classmates, and their co-workers, Rome would get Jewish men to act as the tax collectors, and they had no choice, and they had no friends. You had to do it. You had no choice. You often did it at the end of a sword. If you don't do it, we're throwing you in jail. If you don't do it, we're running you through. If you don't do it, we're going to come after your family. It was almost tantamount to extortion, except it was legal to do this. And so you have to understand that Levi, by another name, Matthew, was conscripted by the Roman government to collect taxes from his neighbors, his friends, and his family. And he was a loner, and he was lonely. 
He was a social outcast. He was ostracized. Nobody wanted to see him when he came around because what are you doing? Going to collect more tax from me? You know, he got called insultive names. He got called pariah dog. You know what pariah dog means? It means bloodsucker. Oh, here comes Matthew Levi, that pariah dog. Works for Rome. Just here to suck more tax money out of my wallet, out of my pockets. He had no friends. He had no choice. He was the epitome of a guy who says, I'm just doing my job. Doesn't matter. You're taking our money doing your job. He was a loner. He was lonely. He was alienated. He was isolated. He was ostracized from his own community. And the poor guy had no choice. He had no choice, and he had no friends. And along comes Jesus, who says, hey, I'd like to go to your house and hang out with you. And Matthew's like, seriously? Uh, 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 okay, I would have loved to have been there for that conversation. And so Matthew and Levi, or Jesus and Levi, Matthew, and the apostles, they all go to Levi's house, and Levi is probably tripping out, and his wife's probably going, who are all these people coming for dinner? And, and they're having a grand old time, and then the Pharisees come along and go, I can't believe Jesus is doing that. I mean, they're tax collectors and sinners, pariah dogs. Jesus, why are you doing that? They asked him. He said, are you kidding me? I think he had a smile on his face when he said, I've come for people like this. I've come for the social outcasts. I've come for the marginalized. I've come for those standing on the fringe. I've come for those who are lonely and loners and have no friends and have no choice. I've come for people who see their incredibly deep need. I've come for the people who are so poor in spirit that they see need of God truly in their life because for, the, for them, theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus basically looked at the Pharisees and said, I didn't come for you. Now you have to understand something about the way Jesus answered them when he said, I haven't come for the righteous. I think, and I agree with some of the scholars, I think that Jesus was actually being a little bit sarcastic when he said, I haven't come for the righteous. And I know meaning self-righteous and, you know, all that and a bag of chips and everything and all blown up in your head and all that jazz, I get that. But you got to think about this for a second. Until Jesus, there was nobody righteous. Jesus was the first righteous person on the face of the earth. And so Jesus is like, well, I didn't come for myself. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't come for people who think they're righteous. I didn't come for people who are so self-righteous and self-reliant. They lack humbleness and humble need. I didn't, I didn't come for people who think they got it all together. I came for the people who know they don't have it all together. I came for people who are lonely and loners and on the outside of society and so incredibly poor in spirit and they realize that a poor person knows when they're poor so poor in spirit I've come to give them the kingdom of God I've come for people who understand they will never be good enough on their own and the Pharisees couldn't get this the Pharisees were just simply perplexed 
Not at the fact that God loves sinners, and not even at the fact that God would save sinners, but at the fact that God would love and save sinners as their, sin, as their sinners. This is what some have called the scandal of the gospel, which some people of some religions still call the gospel today. They think Christianity is a scandal of the gospel because we actually believe that while we were still sinners, God incarnate died for our sins on the cross. Pharisees don't get that. Pharisees' thinking was, well, they need to clean themselves up first. They need to get it right first. If there's real repentance, they're going to make changes first. And then they're going to be righteous with God like we are righteous with God based on saying the right things and doing the right things and not saying the wrong things and not doing the wrong things. Jesus said, no, it doesn't work like that at all. It was incomprehensible that God would not wait for people to get their act together to be good enough for God before God would love them and come to them and invite them and include them and forgive them and save them and set them free from the paralysis of sin. This story right here sounds a lot like another story in Luke chapter 19, which is actually the foundation for our vision and mission here at New Promise Church. In Luke 19... Jesus is coming into town, and there is another pariah dog tax collector named Zacchaeus who needed and wanted to see Jesus so bad. Maybe he had a hole in his heart in his life, and he thought, maybe this miracle worker, maybe he can do something for me. And so Zacchaeus, all by himself, because, you know, tax collectors have no friends, he climbs this tree, and he tries to get a glimpse of Jesus, Scripture says. And Jesus looks up in this tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in that tree? Get down out of that tree right now. I want to come to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus is like, who, sir? Me, sir? And Jesus said, yes, sir, you, sir. I want to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. And he, he's like, well, don't you know I'm a tax? I would have loved to have been there for that conversation. Don't you know that I'm a, I'm a tax collector? Yeah, I, I know, Zacchaeus. I know all about you, babe. And I want to come to your house. And I want to be your friend. I want to hang out with you. And so they go to Zacchaeus' house, and the whole thing repeats itself. And more Pharisees come at this time, and they say the exact same things. And Jesus comes back out to them, and he says, Don't you know that I have come to seek and save the lost? Which takes out all religious people, because they don't know they're lost half the time. And it includes all of us. Because we do know we're lost. We are absolutely lost in our sins without Jesus Christ in our lives. Romans chapter 3, 23, it says, everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It's only those who are so poor in spirit that they see that, they get that, they understand their need for Jesus in their life. It's those to whom Jesus gives the kingdom of God to. Can you imagine the freedom that people feel, that Matthew must have felt, Zacchaeus must have felt, the paralyzed guy must have felt, the freedom that they felt. After religion had let them down, because the Pharisees weren't doing anything for them, Pharisees can't heal, Pharisees won't befriend, and Pharisees can't drive out demons. Only Jesus can, because he's the one with the authority. Can you imagine the freedom that they felt? when they were set free from their paralysis, set free from their sin, forgiven by God, and befriended by God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Now, for that to happen, I know Scripture says, as well as you, that there has to be real repentance and faith. 
And faith comes by hearing the word of God. Jesus was the walking word of God. And so I'm wondering if their faith came by what they heard Jesus speak as he spoke as one with authority. And so they were inclined to trust him by the way he spoke the word of God to them. Now, oftentimes, repentance and faith goes hand in hand. I don't know if you've ever realized that or not, but everybody who repents towards Jesus Christ turns towards God in faith in Jesus Christ. Get that? Everybody who repents towards God with faith in Jesus Christ, it's a little bit of faith there already. Faith, I think, actually leads repentance. Just a little bit. Jesus said you only need the faith of size of a mustard seed. It leads repentance. And I also think repentance brings you to a place of faith, right? So I think there's a convergence there between repentance and faith. Now, come back with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 5, and notice what Jesus saw there. Notice the wording there. It says, when Jesus saw their what? Faith. Now, oftentimes we think Jesus is referring to those four goofy guys with goofy smiles on their face hanging out on the roof, lowering the paralyzed guy down. And I've got no problem with that except this. Those guys weren't the one that were paralyzed. Those guys weren't the one paralyzed in sin. Those guys weren't the one whose sin Jesus forgave. My point is this. Why don't we ever include the paralyzed guy there when it says Jesus saw their faith? The four guys on the roof, but also the guy on the mat. What do you suppose Jesus saw in the eyes of the paralyzed guy who couldn't move? Maybe he couldn't talk. I don't know if you know anybody who's paralyzed and can't talk. I, I know somebody like that, and, and I love them very dearly, and it's very, very sad because they're paralyzed from the neck down. They can only talk through a computer, and they've got a little reed sticking in their mouth that they make, I don't know how they do it, makes an uh, artificial voice on the computer, and their words show up on the screen. I wonder if the guy was like that. I wonder if he was paralyzed from the neck down and he not only couldn't move, but he couldn't talk. What do you suppose Jesus saw in that man's eyes? What do you suppose Jesus knew was in his heart? Now it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7 that God sees the heart. Now Jesus is God. And some have said that, that the eyes are the window to the soul or to the heart, Right? So when Jesus looked in that guy's eyes, and maybe he could only communicate with his eyes, and maybe his eyes were deadlocked on Jesus, his last hope, his only hope, his best hope, what do you think Jesus saw in that man's eyes that compelled him to respond with the scandalness of grace? I think he saw faith. I think he saw a man with desperate need, with desperate faith in his eyes, going, Jesus, it's all on you, because if you can't help me, no one can. I think Jesus saw faith in that man's eyes. I think that's why Jesus responded with grace to love, to heal, to forgive, to save, to set free from the paralysis of body and the paralysis of sin. I think he saw that man's faith. I lost my place. I got so wrapped up in it. Now, I know why, while not everyone turns to Jesus, I know these guys did. Scripture tells us that. I'm sure the paralyzed guy did, because who wouldn't after that? 
And I know Matthew did because it says Matthew followed Jesus, which is a, a colloquial way of saying he stayed with Jesus. So he joined Jesus. Now, while not everybody repents and turns to God, and I get that, I am sure these two guys and everyone else who does, I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they're very glad they did it. I'm sure they're very glad Jesus came their way that day. I'm sure they're very glad that Jesus called out to them and included them and invited them and loved on them and fellowshiped with them and became their friend and forgave their sins and set them free from the paralysis of sin. I'm, I'm sure they did. He set them free forever. I don't think... I don't think they got that right away. I don't think you can. I, we can from Scripture, from that 3,000-foot view of Scripture. But he set them free eternally right then and there. Your sins are forgiven. Boom. Follow me. Boom. Where? From here to eternity. While the Pharisees stood there and watched and wondered what was going on. This is so unlike us. What is this new teaching and new things he's doing as one with authority. You know what the irony of Jesus was? He wasn't religious enough for the Pharisees. He wasn't legalistic enough for the Pharisees. He wasn't standoffish and separatist enough for the Pharisees. He was way too inclusive for the Pharisees. He was not um, intolerant of other people like the Pharisees were. And he wasn't even holy enough for the Pharisees. But you know what the irony of Jesus is today? It's the exact opposite. The irony of Jesus Christ and Christianity today is people think that it's too religious. It's not tolerant enough. It's not inclusive enough. And it's way too legalistic. Does that make Christianity look more like Jesus or more like Pharisees? You see, I think what we learn from these conversations with Christ today is that Jesus isn't religious. He's relational. And he is the God who reaches out to have relationship with people every day in every way. He calls people. He invites people. He includes people. He loves on people. He befriends people. He forgives people. And he sets them free from the paralysis of sin. And he does it with the authority of heaven because Jesus is the God of heaven who has come to seek and save the lost. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, and I only say that because while I presume many of you, maybe all of you are Christians because you're here faithfully every Sunday. I get that and, and everything else. But I learned a long time ago at another church that there was somebody who was attending church for years before they accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. And it blew me away. I thought they were a Christian a long time ago. And they're like, no, I just kept listening. I kept thinking. They honestly said, I don't know what I waited for. But they wanted me to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. And we prayed, and I was basically, you're already there. You've already done it in your heart. Now we're just going out of the abundance of the heart. Let the mouth speak. 
So a long time ago, I learned that just because you stand in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. And so I say that with respect, not to be insultive at all, if you're here or if you're watching online. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have gone through this. You know what it's like to be set free from the paralysis of sin. You know what it's like to be invited and included by Jesus into your life and into his life. You know what it's like to be called by, by Jesus, to be friended by Jesus, to be set free by Jesus. You know what it feels like to have your sins forgiven by Jesus. You know what it feels like. And part of the reason you know what it feels like is freely you have received, now freely give. And what we're talking about here is sharing this same Jesus with people around you. Maybe that's what we learn, or part of what we learn this week from this week's conversation, is to spend this next week of our life like the paralytic guy probably definitely did, and like we know Matthew did. Maybe it's to spend this next week of your life telling people about Jesus. Man, how, how unreligious he is, how highly relational he is, how he invites people and befriends people and includes people and loves on people, and all he wants to do is forgive their sin and set them free from the paralysis of sin like he did me. Because don't forget, he came to call sinners people like you and like me. To seek and save the lost once we were lost, but now we're found. We were once blind, but now we see. So maybe what the Holy Spirit is calling us to this week is to take this relational power, authority, and relationship that we have with Jesus, that we have with God through Jesus, and share it with people in our lives this week because he came for them too. He came for them too. He came for sinners just like me and just like you. And if we don't get that from this week's message, you definitely will get it from next week's message. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus calls out his troops, he calls out his team, he calls out his apostles. He says, okay boys, it's time to get off the sidelines now and it's time to get in the game. And he's going to send them out with his authority and with his power. But that's next week. Look, there are a few faces in the crowd this morning I honestly don't recognize. And I, I just want you to know, with the love of God and Jesus Christ, that his Holy Spirit is here this morning. That if you would like to accept Jesus into your life, and you might say, well, pastor, I go to church. <laughs> We're not talking about going to church. Say, pastor, I'm religious. We're not talking about being religious. We're talking about realizing you've got this overwhelming need for God in your life. And the fix is Jesus. Jesus is here this morning. And he's calling out to invite you, to include you, to save you, to forgive you, to set you free so you can be all that you can be in him. Because he loves you so very, very much. Now, I know sometimes we go with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. I, I really don't do that. I respect it, but I don't do that. Why? 
because I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed by or ashamed of. I think what I'm about to ask you to do is to make the best decision you could ever make in your life. There's nothing to be awkward about. You've got a lot of people around you and you've got all of heaven who's going to party with you if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today and simply let Jesus change your life. You say, Pastor, what all is going to happen? I don't know all the details. God does. I don't know what all you need. God knows. I can't be everything you need. Nobody can except God. God can be exactly what you need because he knows exactly who you are. So with every head up and every eye opened and everybody looking at me, if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord this morning, honest to God, I encourage you to make the best decision in your life and just raise your hand. I'm not going to call you forward. God can meet you right there where you're at. But everyone he called, he called publicly, and this is a little bit of a way of being called publicly. Raising your hand and saying, that's me. I'd like to accept Jesus in my life today. If that's you, raise your hand. If you'd like to accept Jesus in your life today. No? Okay, then. I'm going to assume you either are all believers or you maybe haven't made a decision yet. That's totally cool, totally fine. I just want you to know that God loves you so very, very much. He would rather have died to save you once in humanity on the cross than to live forever without you in all of eternity. And only the Bible says that. That's how much God loves you. If you have any questions, come see me later, call the church, something like that, all right? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, <coughs> Father, again, we do thank you for your word because it is a lamp unto our feet. It is an absolute Klieg light to our path. Boy, does it illuminate why you've come into humanity to seek and save the lost, to invite people, to include people, to have a relationship with people, to love on people, to save people, to forgive us our sins and set us free from the paralysis of sin so that we can be everything that you have called and created us to be in yourself. And so, Father, I thank you for, for the life of the paralytic. I thank you for Levi's life. I even thank you for the Pharisees. And I thank you for Zacchaeus because, Father, without them and without this story, we couldn't see you and hear you as clearly as we do because you compare and contrast so much to everybody around you. Thank you, Father. Help, help us, Lord, this week to share you with the people around us because you want to have a relationship with them too because you love them too and we are your hands and your feet and your eyes and your mouth and your ears in their lives. Use us this week in the furtherance of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening this morning. Now, here's what's coming up next at New Promise. We are so thankful to have had Mark and Vanessa Miller here last week to give us an update on their ministry. Feel free to stop by their table out in the lobby and take a shirt or a video or one of the books that they have left. On Sunday, August 22nd, we will be having the Donahue family here giving us an update about what God is doing in their lives and in their ministry in Paraguay. We have the audio assistant equipment for those with diminished hearing available to use at the sound booth in the back. The Fish Fest will be Sunday, August 8th at Brookside Reservation Park. Tickets are just $10. 
but admission is limited to the first 15,000 people. To buy your tickets online, go to www.thefest.us. Next Sunday is Communion Sunday. Please save the date on Saturday, September 4th, there will be a Christian Patriotic Rally at Veterans Park in downtown Painesville from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. with lots of Christian and patriotic music and several area pastors and political leaders speaking, including our own Pastor Rory. You won't want to miss this inspiring and patriotic rally on Saturday, September 4th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Veterans Park in Painesville. Next week, Pastor Rory will continue in his series called Conversations with Christ in Mark's Gospel in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus calls out his team. Here at New Promise Church, we want to thank you for your financial support. If you feel God is leading you to provide support to this ministry, we have several ways you can do that. The offering box in the back on the wall, online on the Give tab on our website, or you can simply mail in a check to our office address. Thank you for being here today at New Promise Church. Have a great and blessed week. Thank you for coming this morning. Please stay and help us stack the chairs after the service.